Holy Gospel, according to Matthew, glory to you, O Lord. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ, and let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? That's verse 17 of our first lesson this evening from Joel chapter 2. Where is their God? What a question. What a question. How despairing or abandoned do you have to be in order to have that question become a question that you ask of yourself, where is God for me? Or how evil or vile of a person do you have to be to look down on someone so poorly as to say to them, God has abandoned you? Joel writes, in our first reading, putting this line in the mouths of the priests, speaking to God. As though saying, God, you are our God. We have gone after other gods, but you have promised to be with us. You've remained with us because you promised. Now please redeem us, save us, rescue us, Do your work again that you did way back in Exodus when you brought your people out of the land of Egypt. Do it here now. Because Joel is, is writing about a coming pandemic of locusts, a plague, thought to be punishment. And there's a call to repentance tied up in here. We we see it first there in verse one, where we hear. The day of the Lord is coming. It is near. That we're supposed to sound an alarm on the holy mountain, sound a trumpet in Zion. 
because of this day of the Lord that is coming, that an army is, is on its way to destroy life, a, a reminder to us of who is God, reminding us that we are not him, but that there is one who speaks to us right now in his word. Does this fit for today, first of all? Joel 2. How about a virus? What would happen if we switched this from locusts to a virus? It fits. A day of darkness and gloom. How many of you have felt like you've been walking around in the dark for almost a year now? With gloom hanging over your head as though you have this dark rain cloud following every step. And Joel writes this 2,600 years ago. And it comes to us like it was from yesterday. He's writing to a people caught up in, in, in security, in leisure, in complacency. So it is for us, in fact. Because just imagine an army of a microscopic organism has come and has hopefully pulled us out of our complacency in the Western world where everything is hunky-dory, everything is fine. Why should we ever need a God? That's the hope, anyways, that it's pulled us out of that. Greater concern would be maybe if it gets us to continue to hide, to flee, to turn away. But with this fear and anxiety that's building up in people over this army that is coming, building up in people over this great day of the Lord that is on its way, there is still that call of hope and that call of repentance that God is speaking to his people, not just through locusts, but through something even more, because he says, return to me with all your heart. And it says, with fasting and weeping and mourning, having it go to your very core, not just lip service. Return to me, the fountain of living waters, he cries out. Return to me, the rock from which you were hewn. And this is the call the sinner needs. Sin you need to understand. I, I have no problem using the word sinner. But sin, you need to understand, first off, when I talk about sin, I'm not talking about moralism. I'm not talking about behavior. I'm not talking about what maybe you do on Friday nights. I'm not talking about what you watch, what you read, what words you use, whether you smoke cigarettes or drink too much. Because sin is not necessarily moralism or behavior. Sin is a chasing after other gods, turning our back on the very one that gives us life, or even deifying ourselves, making us into gods for our own sake. And that's actually what confirmation is for. Uh, Confirmants, you're here tonight speaking to you personally and to your parents. Confirmation is not about making you into good little boys and girls. I could do that without Jesus. I could do that without God. We could do that through counseling. We could do that through a civics class. We could do that through the Boy Scouts. 
and have nothing of God spoken into your ears. Confirmation is not make, about making you good little boys and girls. Parents, I'm not lying. Confirmation is about understanding who God is for you. That you have a God and this God speaks to you. To help you understand that you should know what this God wants. And what he wants is you. And he gives himself to you wholly as his son to die for you because you would not come to him. And that is what tonight is about too. Because see, God is using something as horrible as a pandemic, just as he did with locusts with Joel, to give all of us this little nudge to help us realize that we are not the deity we think we are, but that he will use something like a pandemic to draw us to himself. And it's good. Something good coming out of COVID. Can you believe it? Something good coming out of COVID. And you know why I know it's good? Because you're here. You are here. Some of you are forced to be here, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. You can leave the notes under my office door. You can TP my car. But you're here. You could have said no, but you came. The Spirit nudging you, pushing you, telling you that there's something you had to hear tonight. It's Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday can be just another day to know you have a God and you have need of him. Well, that's what tonight is about, I think. Because even in your masks, you can't hide from me and you can't hide from God the fact that you know you are not God. Because you wear your masks as you're about to wear ashes to remember that you are mortal because illness and death can come to you at any time, and yet you are here tonight. No matter how brave you might think you are not, you are here in this space to hear from God, to know more than just the fact that you are mortal and that you have a God And that should be reinforced because a lot of forces in this world are going to try and tell you or ask you, where's your God now? Where's your God been this last year? How has he helped you? Genesis 3.19, God is speaking to Adam, and you're going to hear those words tonight a lot. He says, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You'll hear that as Chloe and I put the ashes on your forehead. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death coming through our sin, that we might know we are not God. Have you ever thought of that? God warns them and says, don't eat of the fruit or you're going to die. Why? Because God is the one who has power over death. We might think we have the power to decide what's good or evil, that we might have the power to deify ourselves. No, God says, okay, I'm going to limit your days. I'm going to take 
from you life such you might know that I'm the one who gives life to you and I'm the one who can raise you up again if you die. And with that then, we are reminded tonight that regardless of how hard we try, you can wear all the masks you want. You can be as virtuous as you want. You can be as kind as you want. But none of it is going to change the fact that death comes and that we are dust. Mask-wearing dust. That's why Christ speaks to us out of this gospel reading tonight of getting rid of all the other outward piety. He says, the giving of alms, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, which means most of us have gone around the world doing quote-unquote good deeds and we didn't even know it. And the problem is, is that the ones that we said were good actually have become despicable in the eyes of God because somehow we've decided in our heads, well, those are good deeds and the other ones are not. When God has used us in so many ways that we will never know to bring mercy And he says, that is how we are to live, to not try and be good on our own, because otherwise we're going to have faith in that. Also, our devotion, our prayer, making these long prayers, showing how prayerful we are, how awesome we are in the ways that we can use words in talking to God. When he says, no, come to me in your heart, in your spirit, in your brokenness. Sarah Condon is a pastor down in, uh, at Rice University, down in Houston. She's Anglican. Uh, she does a lot of things through Mockingbird, which is uh, a ministry thing, uh, uh, whatever, that I, that I participate in. In December, she lost both of her parents in a car accident. And they've done a couple of podcasts since then, on the, the Mockingbird podcast, the Mockingcast. In this last week, they were talking about prayer, and she was, they were talking about how great the Book of Common Prayer is and liturgy there and, and all these stuff because it gives us words for when we don't have any and all these things. And she said just blatantly, I can't do those prayers right now because they don't speak to me right now. And then she explained, every night, just as my Meemaw did, she has a southern drawl. She's from Mississippi, I think. Just as my Mima did, I, I kneel on the floor and place my elbows on the bed. But right now, every night, I pray to God and say, I miss them so much. Talking about her parents, and she says, God, I want to dream about them tonight. And can you please keep my kids safe? That is a heart that's been rent asunder. A heart that is turned towards God, knowing that there is nothing else. That is prayer that doesn't preach. It's prayer that doesn't make a a big image of itself. It's not a, a medal of honor that we wear instead. It's prayer that truthfully comes to God in confession and heartache and hope. And that God that hears our prayers. Would you ever be able to pray that way?
And then finally, he talks about fasting. He wants to get in our faces about our own self-flagellation that we always bring upon ourselves to try and show ourselves to be the most pious, how we, how we truly are the most penitent. Oh, I'm more, I, can, I can repent better than the best of them. Kind of a picture. And what Jesus is doing here is he's stripping away every other object of faith, getting rid of our good deeds, removing from us any sort of disciplined religion we might have and any sort of form of self-flagellation that we might hold up as virtue for us. He says, no, but it's that God in secret that you go to to make it so that no one can say, where is their God? Because we turn not to those things, but to the God who gives us life. And here's our prayers. Ash Wednesday is that great turn in the church calendar year. It's that turn in which at first we are looking to our God who was born in that manger. Baby Jesus in the golden diapers. Right? Ricky Bobby. And we make this turn and we start to see our God that baby born to die, hanging on that cross. Because you see, you can't have Jesus without death. Your death and sin, the scriptures tell us, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are dead in our ability to turn towards God. We need the Spirit to come to us and turn us toward Him. Uh, we can't have Jesus without death. We, we need His for sin on that cross and for you in your place. We need your death in order to put to death all that draws you away, burying you by your baptism, for instance, and raising you to new life. And we need his death so that he might draw us to himself, which is what he tells us, that when he is raised up on that cross, he will draw all people to himself. The one who gives life and dies for us. So as you come to get your ashes tonight, first thing you need to know, which is really weird, is that ashes are sanitary. They are. That's why we are doing it the traditional way tonight. Chloe and I will wear our masks. You can wear yours. But ashes are sanitary. They're actually used as soap in third world countries. So it's a weird thing that you're going to come forward and remember that you are dust. And there's a mixture of that the ashes being the destroyed matter, and yet they're sanitary. There's something clean there because there's a piece of God there for you. First, we'll be making a cross, either on your forehead or on the back of your hand, reminding you of that cross that you need, that Jesus that dies. But then also to remind you of your baptism, where in your baptism the pastor sealed you by the Holy Spirit and marked you with the cross of Christ forever, that you are his forever, even in your dust, even in the fact that you turn away, you are his. And then also, what has become tradition for me more often than not during Monday, Thursday, is you come forward, and instead of having corporate absolution, you have individual absolution. You come forward, and we place our hands upon you, and we say, by the command of, by 
the command of Christ. I forgive you all your sins. Or by uh, in obedience to the command of Christ. I forgive you all your sins. And what I started to do when I came to my first parish, so I'd have a dish with a sponge in it that would be wet. And you'd come forward and I'd make the cross on your forehead with water. As though I'm wiping that dust away. Because there on Monday, Thursday, we hear Jesus say, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You come forward and I use that water as a symbolism of your baptism. That Christ has taken your death upon himself. So that although you be mortal, and although you be frail, and although you be dust, you are held by Christ. And so tonight we take a step back in time. Genesis 3.19, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Well, we go back in time a little bit farther. Genesis 2.7. Genesis 2.7, we have another accounting of the creation. And we have God doing something particular with dust, because it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being going from certain death to the God of life. Moving back in time, pre-fall, that God takes our trespasses away from us and breathes new life into us, makes us a new creation, as we heard from Paul's text tonight. God coming to us in death, the death of Christ for you, and even in your own death to give you life, that one day death will come for you, you will die. But then you get to sleep and wait for Jesus to whisper in your ears, Arise, beloved. It is time. That is Lent and Easter for you. So be reminded that you are dust. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. There's no fakery there. There's no outward religiosity. There's no transactional piety where we say, well, if I do this, God will do that. No. But in truth, it's just a true sinner for a true Jesus who comes in truth to take away your sin and to give you life in his name. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.